everybody. Welcome to another episode of Roadmapped, a podcast where we chat with product leaders around the world about their journey into product management and explore the decisions behind the products they work on. I'm your host, Sean Crow, along with my business partner, Thomas Kruczynski. And today, we're super excited to welcome our guest, Archna Carlstone. Archna is the head of product at CarPuddy, which is a growing startup here in Chicago that is changing the car ownership cycle by providing transparency every step of the way. Archna, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. I think a, a good place to start is if you can give us a, a foundation on what uh, CarPuddy is and who you serve. Yeah. So we're actually based in Atlanta is where our official okay. main office is. We've got sort of an offshoot here in Chicago, but you know, in the world of 2021 and remote work, <laughs> everyone's everywhere. Um, so CarPuddy is a auto finance company, but it's sort of changing the way that automotive finance is done. You know, traditionally you think of you're buying a car, you go to the dealership, you pick a car out, and then you go and sit there for a couple hours while they like go off and do some weird things um, and come back to you with some pricing. Um, so this is sort of taking out that back room and that financing piece that I think a lot of people find painful in a car buying experience. You know, like obviously picking out a car is super fun, but then when you get to the financing piece, um, the experience isn't great. So the idea of Car Putty is that you're getting your financing up front, similar to Lizzie Wood with like a credit union or a bank. Um, so you're essentially almost paying cash, you know, when you go to buy a car. But the difference is that it's actually a line of credit. Um, so you apply once, that line of credit is yours for the rest of your life um, to add and remove any cars that you want. So every time you're buying a car, you're not getting new financing like every single time. It's just one time, one and done, and that money is just always available to you. So it's nice, you know, like, for one person, it still works. For multiple people, it still works um, because that money is all available, always available to you as one person. But if you have a family, you know, like husband, wife, or like kids, even you know, as they start to grow, um, like all of that can be on just one monthly payment. Cool, and yeah, that's really interesting. So I, I actually just bought my first car. Um, yeah, like three weeks ago. So I just went through this whole process, <laughs> um, and I was pretty. I was honestly pretty impressed. I, I went through Subaru. And they were surprising. I was expecting this to be like a super painful process. Yeah. My parents are like, we hate buying cars, like good luck. <laughs> uh, but it was fine. It was like totally like, I feel like they were pretty transparent. Um, and I got a really good rate because of interest rates being so low right now. Yeah. Um, how, so how does that differ, um, I guess, in terms of interest rate or like, how does that work um, since it's not a loan, it's a line of credit? Yeah. So the interest rate, the... One of the other things, too, is when you're buying a car, that interest rate is based on the vehicle, um, whereas ours, like the, the credit we're offering you and everything that we're offering to you is based on who you are as a person, right? So your credit, your income, like your ability to repay, um, and that interest rate is like developed out of that. So what can happen with interest rates when it's based on the vehicle is they can be sort of manipulated, right? Like you can go all the way down to like 0% AVR, um, but that's getting added somewhere else in the background. So this, this interest rate is just like, you know, that interest rate, obviously depending on market, um, but that won't really change over time. It doesn't matter which vehicle you add. It's not based on that vehicle. It's just based on you and the market. 
Got it. So if if I were to to utilize Carpuddy instead of Subaru financing, what would that process have looked like for me? Yeah. So, you know, you would go to carpuddy.com, you do an application, it's a soft credit pull, um, so you can see how much you're qualified for. So you just, you know, enter last four of social, name, address, we'll do a soft pull. Um, we're actually using Plaid to verify income. So you'll log in Plaid. with your bank account that you're getting. <laughs> yeah, they cover. It's I see it so many more places now too. Um, and it's great. They have so many different like offerings of products. So it, it really worked for us and how we wanted to do things a little bit differently. Um, so you'll log in with your bank that you get your income to, and then we'll qualify you on that and let you know how much money you can uh, get with Carfuddy. Um, you'll then just sign your loan document, do a hard credit pull, make sure there's no issues there. And once you're ready to add a vehicle, you'll just enter in a little bit of information. Um, we'll process things on the back end. We'll reach out to the dealership for any of their documents. So like the buyer's order, um, anything that you sign at the dealership, we'll grab those from the dealership. And it's a similar process like that they deal with banks or credit unions as well. Um, and then we'll wire them the money and the car's yours. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, everyone, everyone was telling me to like, go to my bank, get my own loan so that I can go to the dealership and, you know, negotiate against the interest rate. But <laughs> I was one of those people that got the, the 0% pretty much because yeah. <laughs> you can't say no to that. It's like free money. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing too is, um, that's, you know, like the, the financial model is one piece of it, but then the other piece that we're really doing is this idea of the idea around like car ownership, right? Is that it's always going to be a depreciating asset, but vehicles don't depreciate just like in a straight line down. There's actually plateaus and those plateaus are really one of the best times to sell your car. Um, I think a lot of us always have this idea of you just own your car for forever <laughs> until it dies. Um, but that might not be like the best financial decision for you. And you can almost sort of lose less money uh, if you will. And so we overlay like your vehicle and that line with what the sort of future valuation of your vehicle is and show you sort of the best times to sell that vehicle. Um, and we have the valuation tool as its own separate thing. So you can go to our site now. Um, create an account and you can put in a vehicle and you can kind of see that trend over the future. Um, it's really funny because as we develop that tool, obviously internally, we're all using it and playing around with it and everyone's like, maybe I should be selling my car here soon. <laughs> Is that tool available for, for anybody, even if we're not um, financed through you guys? Yeah. So um, cool. on the website now, you can do like one free one and then just give me your name and email address and then you can do unlimited <laughs> ones um, inside oh, of our awesome. dashboard. <laughs> well, I will do that to see when I should sell my brand new car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like there's a lot of moving parts um, to CarPuddy. What are you getting your hands in um, if that's not everything? <laughs> It's everything. <laughs> um, so the obviously we're very small. So we I I officially started in October. I think I was you know probably employee three or four. Uh, we all kind of started at the same time. Um, so we've got Joshua Tatum, who's our chief product officer. Um, I worked with him previously. 
but you know he's got his hands in like all of our investor meetings and you know business development and things like that so uh i am our only product person <laughs> and so i've got my hands in everything from like consumer perspective uh we're building out a back-end system as well where um all of the loan information and everything like that goes and and how we're processing that with the vehicle information um so also doing that and then also some of the valuation pieces as well. Um, and then we've got two designers on our team. Uh, so really something that was really important to me as we started this was the focus on design and research and really understanding like who our customers were. I've seen so many times in the past where everyone just makes assumptions on on what the customer wants. and not really talking to customers. So we're we're actually in the middle of doing user research sessions right now, just like conversations with people just to see, you know, does the site speak to them? Like, are we hitting the right marks? You know, what can we do differently to really explain the product better? Because it's a brand new product and it's a brand new way of thinking about buying a vehicle. And this industry of like purchasing vehicles hasn't been touched in so long. It's, it's always been really that same way. Um, so there's a little bit of an education hurdle, so to speak. And so we want to make sure that people are resonating with what we're putting out there to kind of connect those dots. Got it. it can you walk us through maybe some of like what that u- user research session looks like for you guys? Yeah. So um, a few months ago, we just did through a third party, just some focus groups, and those were really helpful. And and we really enjoyed the conversations that came out of that. So now we're taking that internally. Um, So we sent out, you know, just a basic survey to screen people. I got hit by a few bots, but (laughs) that's is the life of that. Um, But we were able to grab, I think, about 100 participants out of that survey, which is huge. So which is awesome. Um, going through, they answered some questions about some of the pain points they had, some of the things that they liked about purchasing a vehicle. So we're pulling out some of those that really felt that they were interested in talking more and, and had some interesting things to say. So now we're setting up just 90 minute calls with them to really sort of walk through just their experience, like how they think about car buying, and then walking them through our website to really just see if again, that resonates with them. If, if we're pulling at the right things, um, if they're confused and if they are confused, you know, what would make it better? Um, because we're new, you know, we're obviously doing right now, we're just doing organic social, just do friends and family. Um, you know, we'll move on to some paid social. We're doing some grassroots thing in Atlanta. I think there's a thing called caffeine and octane, that's an event that we'll be at, which sounds pretty intense. Um, I guess is in like a giant mall parking lot where just everyone brings their cars. So we'll be going there and kind of spreading the word. Um, but like through all of that, you know, as we get to more paid things and more heavier marketing pushes, we've got to make sure that our, our marketing of our product is in the right place first. Totally. So what are some things um, if if you can think of some specifics that you've learned that you were kind of surprised by in these interviews, because uh, it sounds like um, a lot of you guys have a lot of assumptions that you're trying to either prove or prove wrong. One of the things, especially with the focus groups that we saw is initially people didn't feel like it, the product was for them. They're like, I'm one person, you know, why would this matter to me? Um, but then when we started to explain more of that 
portfolio perspective of being able to see that valuation of your vehicle over time, sort of seeing when those best times to sell, seeing how much your car is depreciating at a time that really just started to like get people thinking. And I think especially now with more access to like trading and, and things like that, people are more invested in their own sort of financial well-being. And and your car is part of that. Like it's an asset that you own. So you know, I don't think that any of us really often look at, you know, how much our our car is valued at at this in this current point in time or in the future and make decisions based off of that. So it's really sort of empowering that financial piece. You know, this is a, this is a decent size asset that you've got. So let's, let's sort of break it down and and help you understand like what you can do with it. So once that piece started coming out, it really resonated with people. Um, And so that made us sort of rethink, you know, maybe we need to put a little bit more emphasis on that valuation piece, make sure that it's it's hitting all the right points um, and that it's delivering against some of the competitors that are out there as well. How do you, um, the, and there's certain types of products um, and I feel like financial ones are unfortunately victim to it where they're just naturally just like, um, it's kind of like you need it in the moment, but you might not need it later. Um, so how do you how do you justify like really focusing yourself on making sure that your core value proposition, which is this financial kind of vehicle, no pun intended, um, that you're offering, how do you justify like not distracting too much from that so that you don't end up getting into like mileage tracking and all this like health check stuff and things that detach from it? Or is that part of the vision too, is just to become this one-stop shop for everything vehicle related? Yeah, it's a little bit a part of the vision. Um, I think it all goes back to one of our core tenets of just transparency um, and and honesty. And I think a lot of these sites that you go to to get information, let's say just like about your vehicle, right? Um, like I don't know what recalls there are or what major um, maintenance things are coming up they're all filled with ads, which of course, that's how they make money, right? But then that sort of like starts to take away from the credibility of that information. Um, You know, our goal is to like, we have all this information. We want you to know it about your vehicle, a vehicle you're looking at, like anything. And so that is part of our strategy is sort of a, a research aspect of it where we're not going to push you on the line. Like the line is there when you need it, you know, when you're ready to buy or refinance a vehicle, which is also something that people don't often think about doing is refinancing their vehicle. Um, But here are some other pieces of information that are just interesting to know and and can help you in that journey. And I think, uh, so I come from uh, the mortgage industry as well, right? Which you're you're only buying so many houses in your lifetime typically. Um, So it's some of that, aspect here applies where it's that re-engagement, that sort of um, educational piece and and offering pieces of information where they all together in in a way that they might not see anywhere else. I think it's really smart for to kind of hook people on the the valuation tool, right? Because like, as you were talking in my mind, I was like, I I, I don't need this because I just bought a car, right? But as soon as you say, oh, you can like value your car and see when to sell it, all of a sudden... I want to be a user, you know, 
Um, and then you could be there for when I buy my next car or when I sell that car. Yeah. Um, so I think it was really, really smart. Um, which is cool. Can you, you also mentioned refinancing. I have no idea how that would work with the car. I didn't know you could do that with the car. Can you kind of yeah. explain that? Not a lot of people know that they can refinance their vehicles. So it's really interesting. Um, just like with a home or anything else, you can get a better rate and a lower monthly payment. Um, so, you know, like our focus just isn't on people who are buying cars. Um, it's also like being able to sort of refinance your car onto our line. Um, as well as if your lease is coming out, if you want to buy that vehicle, you can kind of buy it onto the car putty line as well. So yeah, I forget the statistics, but it was super low of how many people actually refinance their vehicle and know that they can refinance their vehicle. I had no idea that you could refinance a vehicle before this. Um, and you're just, you're getting a better rate and a a lower monthly payment. I mean, why not? You do it for your home. So why not? Your yeah. Finish? And I would imagine this year, a lot of people could have taken advantage of that with interest rates being so yeah. low. Sean's, Sean's gears are so turning. He's definitely going to be, it's, Hey, I've yeah. got, I've got my, I've got my 0.9%. I'm good. <laughs> um, and that's the other thing too. Like, so that's one fun part of this product is there's so many like little pieces everywhere which can make it difficult because obviously you know we've only got so many resources engineering perspective things like that um but the the other part of our financial product is because it's a line of credit um the it's not your normal sort of term right like at the end of you know however many months that it's paid off um it's sort of evolving but we've We've kind of incentivized um, consumers. So if you make your first three months payment on time, we're going to credit you back that interest towards your principal amount. So just sort of helping to pay down that principal amount. Um, the first term is actually 30 months. So at 31 months, if you still have the vehicle, we'll actually just automatically refinance. And so you could essentially cut your monthly payment almost in half. Um so things like that, just based on the way that the financial product is, allows us to to do some of those things. So it's it's something we're pushing less right now because we really want to focus on just sort of getting people in. But I think as we grow over time, those those incentives are things that we'll we'll really push from a marketing perspective. Nice, yeah, that that makes total sense. Um, I want to go back. You said that you came from the mortgage industry. Can you kind of talk to us about how you ended up in product management? Yes. I think just like everybody else, just stumbled upon it. <laughs> that seems to be the answer. <laughs> um, so I graduated with a degree in, you know, good old comm studies um, <laughs> with a minor in marketing. Um, and college marketing really sort of drew me. So um, always difficult to find a job in marketing as a college graduate. Uh, so I moved to Chicago, actually, and, and ended up working for a mortgage company called Guaranteed Rate. Um, just as a sales assistant, you know, one of those need a job and get a job as as I can, but I've always been drawn to technology. So I ended up being a project manager, um, at a company called GP Shopper, which uh, was absorbed by Synchrony Financial a couple years ago. Um, and so they did retail mobile apps and it was there that I started to realize that, you know, I enjoyed the, the project management aspect, but we were building some of these cool tools for these these retailers and 
once the project was done, I sort of, you know, went on to the next one. Um, and that's where I started to really get the bug for, <laughs> for product development and, and really wanting to see those things follow through um, and help make them better and sort of iterate on those. So I found my way back to Guaranteed Rate um, in their tech side. So when I joined, it was it was very much a startup mentality on the tech side. Um, and, you know, I think everybody in product came from either like project or scrum or some sort of combination of things. And as our tech department grew and it grew exponentially while I was there, um, we started to be better about like product and about processes. And then um, Joshua Tatum, he's my our current CPO, he came over to Guaranteed Rate from SoFi. Um, so he really kind of helped shape that as well and, and bring a little bit more regimen into the the way that we were doing product there. So, and I really just kind of grew in my role there. And then uh, he was a co-founder of Carfuddy and said, hey, we're doing this cool thing. And I said, <laughs> sure, in the middle of a pandemic, I'll leave my job and join a startup. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> what? So yeah, tell us about that. Like, that must have been, must be wild starting a company from scratch during a pandemic and crisis. Yes. Um, how, what, what's that been like? And what are the challenges that you guys have faced? Yeah. Um, obviously, it's been difficult. But I don't, I mean, I also don't know, like, if, it, if we were in person, like, how different it would be. Um, being able to see each other, obviously. But I think one of the cool things about starting remotely as a team is you have to really understand each other and communicate really well. And I think it brought it, us closer in a, from a working perspective of starting that way. Um, we've met up a couple times in Atlanta and, and we just like instantly gel together. You know, everyone's like talking, we go to dinner and everything and it's um, outdoors, of course. Um, <laughs> but, Caffeine and octane. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that part of that came from having to start these relationships online, essentially, and, and communicating in that way, um, really gave it a stronger foundation, almost, because you've got to, it, it creates a stronger working foundation, because you've kind of got to get to the point of things and, and be efficient with your time. Um, and I think, you know, we'll start stand up a little bit early and just sort of shoot the shit I don't know what I, could say. <laughs> I don't know another alternative for that um and you know I think it's a good time to be able to to connect with people in that way but it, it's definitely difficult um I think it's also though driven our hiring process to be a little bit stronger um even though we're we're startup, we're we're hiring rather quickly, especially on the engineering side. Like we're still doing, you know, like interviewing with at least three people, making sure that, you know, at least sort of one culture perspective interview, um, and in keeping that strong, even though we're remote and you can't do it in person. Yep, for sure. How big? So how big is your product team right now? Um, you said you have two designers. It sounds like at least one engineer. Yeah, so we've got, um, I think, four engineers, uh, two designers, and then one sort of project manager, BA, and he kind of liaises with our operations team. 
Um, and then we got it. We got one QA. We got her a couple of months ago, and it's been phenomenal not having to do all QA by myself. So <laughs> that's been really great. Um, and then we also have a head of data science, um, okay. which was important as a hire for us because of that valuation piece and that focus on data. We wanted to make sure that there was integrity around it, that we're, we're doing things the right way um, and not just sort of throwing data together and, and putting it in front of someone. Yep. I know Thomas wants to ask you this, but uh, where did you find your QA person? <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to hire a QA person right oh, now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Joshua is, he is like the greatest LinkedIn recruiter I've ever met. I mean, he just like slides into people's LinkedIn DMs for jobs and, and they always are the greatest candidates. So... <laughs> It was a LinkedIn steal. <laughs> Sounds like we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we try everything to, it, it's, it's really important. Um, and I love how you have like, even though you're growing really quickly and you like know you need to hire people, you stick to the standards of like making sure that you interview at least three times and go through that. Um, and we're absolutely the same way of just always making sure that like, um, we, we don't hire someone because they're the best of this batch of candidates. We hire them because they're going yeah. to be the best candidate for this role. Yeah, I agree. And I think it can happen so easily where you're just like, okay, we just need to hire for this role. So like this person seems fine. Let's just do it. Um, and I think, you know, three, four five, six months down the road, that can really start to come out. And then, if you lose somebody, you're just like in this process all over again. Um, so I think putting the effort up front really then just sort of helps that long tail approach of, you know, not having any churn there and just making sure that you're hiring the best qualified candidate, but also the best candidate for, you know, the company at the time. Yep. Going, going slow to go fast. So yeah. <laughs> what's um so what's your development kind of process like? Um do you because because you have a because you are a smaller team and because there's so many possible things and because people generally have their roles but because it's a small team and things are moving quickly everybody's doing everything a little bit to a certain extent as well. Um so do you abide by like any specific methodologies or is it kind of like more Kanban style, first come, first serve between bugs and features and everything? Yeah. Um, we definitely started Kanban style, uh, but I am super crazy about tickets and making sure that like the scope of work and the requirements are in them. Uh, I'm very particular about the way that I write tickets. So we're, we're using Jira, we're doing Agile, we're doing two-week sprints. Um, Obviously, you know, some of that can change here and there, but I think it just also helps the development team maintain focus a little bit more and just feel good about the outcome of those two experiments. With Kanban, it can just sort of feel sometimes like you're just like going and going and going and slogging along. So I think the, you know, having sprinkles and really sort of making those feature deliverables, I think helps the, the morale of the team as well. Um, and also, you know, our, our founder and, and some of our other operations side, they've never worked in a tech side, 
tech company before. Um, so being able to have sort of here's what's in this sprint, you know, if you want this done, it's going to be in the next sprint or like here's what the trade-offs are and, and help them see that visually is really important because I think if it was Kanban, they'd be like, well, why can't we just throw this in here? So this helps create some of that like cycle a little bit and, and helps me maintain a roadmap a little bit more. Um, so that way, you know, everyone's on the same page. So I think the the Agile helps the leadership team sort of rally around, you know, here's here's what our output is going to be from this this next two weeks of work. What's the the future looking like for you guys, whether that's in terms of product or team or company? Um, what's what's kind of the next couple of years look like? Yeah, um, you know, I do not want to build my roadmap out more than sort of quarter next two quarters because it's totally going to change. Like once we really get consumers in here, once we get people in there, we see how they're interacting with things. Like I hypothesis about something could be totally wrong and we'll have to shift. So I'm trying to keep that narrow in terms of, of a roadmap, but we've got a lot of great ideas and, and we're building towards them. Um, you know, one of the other things is like being able to sell your vehicle <clears throat> through CarBuddy. Well, we're, we're helping to facilitate it. Like we're not selling the vehicle, um, but through auctions, which is something that a lot of people don't have access to, um, but which is where a lot of the pricing comes from for you know, if you go to a dealership and like they do trade in values, like that valuation comes from like what are cars going at at auctions right now. Um, so, you know, that's another thing, sort of some add ons of like insurance and, and also creating a culture around this. And car culture is so just one of those things that I've barely cracked into. Um, but and you know, we'll see a caffeine and octane, um, I think is like one of those big things, right? And I think there's a lot just socially that we can tap into a little bit um, from that perspective. So that's one of the ideas as well. So a ton of ideas, you know, I want to, I'm trying to narrow the focus right now so we can get things out there, start to get the feedback on it, start to iterate based on that feedback and, and look at the data. Um, I'm big on the data and thankfully, uh, you know, Joshua and Patrick, our, our CEO, also are very big into that and, and less sort of shoot from the hip gut feels. Cool. That's awesome. Do you use any specific methodologies or systems um, to like help guide product decisions or just like what that roadmap looks like? Um, because we, we started using OKRs. Um, our first quarter with them officially as a company was a little rocky, but the next quarter would definitely be a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, do you, do you all use something like that? Yeah. I mean, right now we're just sort of using some high level KPIs of, you know, here's how many people we want to reach. Here's how many like actual lines we want to get. Um, so a, a little bit more specific in that, but I also try to think, you know, what's our, what's our golden vision of, of this specific piece of this product. So, you know, we write product one pagers on sort of all of these feature sets. And one piece of that is like, where's our opportunity and in what could this, you know, if this was in a perfect world, what does this look like? And I think that helps to guide from a design and development perspective as well as how does this fit into the, to the overall piece. So less structured right now, but um, I think, 
the, the product one pages really help, I think, across the organization for, for people to understand. And, and that's something I always feel with the development team, especially, is, you know, oftentimes we can just throw work on to a sprint and say, like, here, we've got to do this. And with no real, like, reason or explanation behind it necessarily. So I think helping the development team see what the overall vision is and how this fits into that overall vision really then it a brings out like great ideas um, from everybody, which is awesome and, and something that we get a lot of with our team, which is amazing, sometimes overwhelming, but amazing. Everyone's got super great ideas. Um, it also just helps us, you know, I think cohesively drive towards a, a common goal. Yep, that, that makes sense. Um, and hopefully Thomas, yes, our, our OKRs and quarter two will be a little better. <laughs> I was literally just thinking today, like, man, I haven't, I, mean, I haven't looked the, at those in a while. We, so need, we need to refresh great. these. The OKRs were great. It was yeah. just the performance of said OKRs. Yeah. <laughs> has room for improvement. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like with any, yeah, like with OKRs or even KPIs, I, I feel like so many times we've defined KPIs for products and then like nobody looks at them again and exactly. then it's like oh yeah what about those kpis we said that <laughs> we were going to measure this against yep yeah i mean it's all about setting up those like meetings to review like that that's literally it this is to make sure you schedule the meetings to make sure you're reviewing them because um thomas and i definitely didn't do that with each other's okrs um so we're gonna yeah, do that everybody on the team <laughs> definitely did far better than than we did just because yeah we oh, yeah. we held the team accountable but we didn't hold each other accountable yeah so it's it yeah very bad yeah <laughs> anyway um cool let's get into thomas do you have any more questions oh, before yeah, we get into the there. rapid fire cool um question number one what books are you currently reading or some that you recommend and they don't have to be product related yeah um so a book that i always recommend for product is and it's something that we read a lot uh, at Guaranteed Right was inspired by Marty Kagan. Um, he comes up a lot. He comes up a lot. I think it's it's good because it covers sort of the broad spectrum of product and how different organizations might do product, which is nice. Um, and I think especially for any organization, like especially a startup where not all of the members come from a tech or product world to kind of wrap their minds around it. And he's got a new book out called Empowered which is on my bookshelf and just haven't had time to read. Um, another book. So I have a 15-month-old. Um, so he was 10 months when I went into this venture of doing a startup, which was crazy too. Um, but something when I came off of maternity leave, um, this book called The Fifth Trimester, which yeah. was really interesting. And it's about, it's by Lauren, oh, it's up there, uh, Lauren Smith. Um, and... I'm just like a crazy sort of in, like discovery research kind of person. And so obviously I was going back to work as a working mom. And so this book was really nice to sort of like help me ease in that transition. But then three days later, I was back at home in the middle of a pandemic. So it didn't even matter. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah. uh, I'll look that one up. That looks pretty cool. Um, cool. Number two, what podcasts are you currently listening to? Um, so currently listening to, um, I listen to a lot of crime podcasts, um, case files, um, but also stuff you should know. I really like sort of longer podcasts on sort of random things. I 
it's always good to know sort of random things that come. It's great for, you know, I've bar got trivia a, whenever that's back. I've got a good recommendation for you then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's called The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week oh, by Popular okay. Science. Um, the hosts are amazing. It's like three um, usually women editors at Popular Science, and they bring a, a, a fact that they learned that week during their research. Yeah. And it's like just the most bizarre things you'll ever hear. And then they'll just like go into detail about this like thing that they that. found out in their like Wikipedia rabbit hole that they went on. Yes, <laughs> I go I go down so many <laughs> Wikipedia rabbit yeah. holes like with everything. Yeah, so. you'll you'll love this one. It's good. Awesome. <laughs> I'll check that out. Um, and then like for product stuff, you know, um, depending if there's, I usually look at, you know, if there's something specific I'm sort of thinking about. So this is product management and product podcast just cover sort of like a whole gamut of different topics. So if there's something that we're looking at doing as a, as an organization or something that we're looking to try from like a product perspective, um, I'll sort of look to see if they've got anything on those to just get a little bit of different view on it. Nice. Yeah, there's, there's some good ones out there for sure. I think product school is one of the big ones. Yeah. Uh, cool. Number three, what tools can you not live without as a product manager? Um, I mean, as much as I loathe to say, I think it's Jira. <laughs> Jira and Confluence together, you know, Atlassian really have <laughs> got us tied down. Yep. Um, I... I am hyper organized. And so, yeah, without Jira, without being able to tie it to Confluence and be able to have that interconnection, um, I think it would be really difficult. And and the nice thing, too, about Confluence is being able to like have those epics in there, or tickets in there, um, so anybody can kind of easily connect the two. And especially for our operations team, like we've got them in Confluence doing a lot of business requirements and things like that. And having that connection back and forth is really good. Um, Trello for sure. Just use that. I mean, and Atlassian bought them too. They're just <laughs> their own in the world. There, you're, you're, um, in, the, you're in the ecosystem. <laughs> I am, uh, but it's nice. The ecosystem works. It's it's all interconnected. You know, just like you've got like Apple products and they all connect together. Like Atlassian's got me down on the product <laughs> side. Um, but you know, and we use Trello for such a wide variety of things, which I like. Like we do our retros in there. Um, you know, I'll use it for personal boards. We've done like road mapping on it. We've done just sort of like ideation things on there. So it's it's nice for for that. Nice. If you want to check out a new one, they should sponsor us by now because we mention them every episode. But we switched everything into ClickUp, and ClickUp. it's been amazing because it does okay. everything I'll uh, check it like out. monday yeah, meets great. trello but like yeah the big leagues yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay i'll check it's it like, out for it's sure super powerful and really really cool nice uh, all right number four what are your top three most used apps on your phone um i mean the only it's number one's instagram i hate to say it but <laughs> uh probably slack is next uh unfortunately um and then uh, an app that i look at a lot for my son is called um the wonder weeks and what it is is babies like and toddlers as they grow they go through these growth leaps and it's crazy how accurate they are like if he starts to get like weird and fuzzy i'm like 
I checked the app and he's totally like entering into one of these leaps because like when they're going through these learning leaps, they start to get, you know, like they can get cranky or just like more clingy. Um, and it kind of tells you the things that they're learning or like how they're making connections to things in the world and, hmm. and like activities to recommend to sort of help build some of those foundations. So it's pretty cool. Cool. Nice. We'll have to recommend that to Andrew. Uh, one of our team members just had a baby too. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. And I mean, it starts from like when they're a baby and it's also, oh. it's nice. Like when they're going through sleep issues and you're like, oh, it's just do this leap. It'll be over in a few weeks. <laughs> we're just in a, we're just in a leap here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, cool. Number five. What uh, app or tool feature have you recently been surprised and delighted by? So the one that continually delights me, and it's so silly, but especially in the world of two-factor authentication, is Apple's prompt to enter in the verification code from your keyboard. I love it constantly like because there's the i mean i feel like in the last week i've probably you know gotten maybe five or six verification codes for different things and like different accounts and it's it's one of those things that like they've really thought about what people are doing and how they're interacting with something and like how they can make something more efficient and it makes it so much more efficient and everybody's doing two-factor off now you know and it's just becoming more and more common to have that. And so, I mean, I wish I could like do it on my Mac too, to be able to have that connection. But every time I'm just like, <laughs> like. It, it does work on your Mac. You know that, right? Does it? You have to use Safari yeah. though. Oh. Um, if you use Chrome. That's oh, that's your issues. Because when I use Chrome and then I use, Saf if you ever do two-factor like on Safari, um, like they're okay. all, it's like, oh my gosh, well, like, why do I keep on using Chrome? Um, and then yeah, you why do you use Chrome? You can use Safari. Yeah. It's more private, it and uh, it's got the the password sharing. Yeah, I guess I got to switch now. So I don't know like, why you guys are on Chrome this still. Is, this is the second or third time someone's mentioned that though uh, on this one. It's just, really? Yes, yeah. It's just like yeah. that like feature. It is so good. It is so good. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things that if you. It's so simple and it's so small, but it's clearly improved all of our experiences and that that focus on that customer experience and that user's experience is like, you know, I mean, I want to I want to think about our products that way. And, and what's something so simple and so small that just one little change like instantly improves your it's life. The little it's the little big things that like just makes yeah. just like when Apple did the um, whole password share thing for Wi-Fi. Oh yeah, that is still like such a. I you're so upset. whenever it doesn't work, I'm so sad. <laughs> <laughs> or you like accidentally like move it, and then you're like, "How do I get it back? Yeah, I want to yeah, share this yeah. password." <laughs> I didn't want to ignore the notifications that I always do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, number six. Who do you follow and get inspiration from? Um, you know, I I follow a lot of accounts on Instagram that always seem to kind of hit at the at the right time um especially sort of parent and like women focused so one of them being startup parent um which is nice and then the we suite uh w-i-e um which is sort of women leadership focused so i follow them a lot just because there just always seems to be something hyper relevant <laughs> that they post that i'm like feeling emotionally or going through um, so which is nice and, um, you know, inspiration wise, 
it comes from all over, but, you know, having worked with Joshua, like both at Guaranteed Rate and, and here, um, he's just got such a depth of knowledge around like financial products as, as well as sort of like product itself. So it's always nice to, to bounce ideas off of him and, and get his input. And he's just been through so many of the same experiences that we're going through right now. So getting those, you know, like what that experience is, what the mistakes they made at that time is super helpful. Nice. Uh, all right. Last one, number seven. Are there any product management trends you're excited about in 2021? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of crazy how much product has blown up over the past few years and um, it's becoming less of, you know, sort of project managers that are like kind of product managers. And it, it really is more of a focus on sort of the actual discipline of it, which is cool. Um, and I think companies are getting more serious about it and, and understanding how it plays into, um, you know, what they're building and, and how they're interacting. And for me, especially, you know, my focus is really like consumer experience and, and how people are, are interacting with tools. And I think the focus on UX and really bringing that into companies as well. Um, I've seen in the last maybe year or two um, and talking to those customers, seeing like what those customers are experiencing. I think I'm excited to see more people doing it more actively and, and more tools sort of being built for around that. Amazing. Um, if anyone listening wants to reach out and learn more about you or Carputty, where can they go? Yeah, um, they can look me up on LinkedIn or they can email me at archna at carputty.com. Great. Well, thanks again for being on the show. This is fun. Great. Thank you.